it's you can't be serious 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 the podcast ace here arrow here and this is you can't be serious this is our fourth inaugural episode. That's right. Which doesn't make any sense. I don't care. And <laughs> They're all inaugural episodes. <laughs> every single one of them. That makes it more special. They're inaugural for what theme we do every week. They're the first episode on that theme. Exactly. So this week, it is our first <laughs> inaugural episode on our philosophical crushes. Ooh, philosophical crushes. Are we going to have like a different theme for every episode? Or, or theme song, I mean? Like, yeah, we can... Ooh, philosophical crushes. Stop it. I don't know. I, don't I was trying to think of, like, a cute, like, coda for that, but I couldn't. I don't, I don't know, so. like, heart bubbles. I don't know. Hey, you. Hey. Hey, you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, today we're going to... Oh, wait. Before we do that, philosophical F-ups? Yeah. Philosophical okay. F-ups. Oops. It's <laughs> <laughs> a musical channel now. So, we've got... Philosophical F-ups from last episode. So the first thing I want to say is the difference between our podcast and everyone else's podcast is when we start, like, saying, oh, well, do we know about this? Is this right? We almost always are right. Yeah, we're just, that's the takeaway from this podcast, that Ace and Arrow are always right. Like, it's incredible how many times we just kind of trail off, and then I go and look it up, and we were totally accurate, like, just right on the money. But more confidence in ourselves. This time, I actually did mess something up, so I did get something wrong. So, Scandalous. Simone de Beauvoir is not a lesbian. She just had an open relationship with, Cam- uh, not Camus. Um, Sartre. Sartre. She probably wanted one with Camus. <laughs> I would. If I was sleeping with Sartre, I'd rather sleep with Camus. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, so that was my F up. And then Harold and Maude. Yeah. Harold was 18. So I was one year off. I said 17. Yeah, I said he had to be an adult. Because, right. like, you know. But then you said 20 or something. Okay. And so yeah. I was closer. Okay. <laughs> so you were more in the legal right. So, but yes, yeah, so he was 18. Okay, good to know. And I know that because I spent literally the next day after we were recording watching Harold and Maude clips because I was going to use it for class the yeah. next day. That's such a good movie. It's such a good movie. <laughs> we could just have a Harold and Maude podcast. We should just have a Harold and Maude day. It's so good. Like... Like, I hadn't watched it in, in probably eight years or something. Oh, wow. You remember it pretty well. And, yes, welcome to We're Always Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I was re-watching it, and I was just like, this is genuinely so good. Like, they're so delightful. The acting is so good. Like, the yeah. musical cues and the editing and everything. Like, you know, sometimes with old movies, you kind of have to, like, accept the fact that you're watching an old movie. And, like, yeah. like beats are going to be different, and it just doesn't quite yeah, work. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. Like, Cultural, but like, but like, Harold and Maude just holds up. Like, it's just a hundred percent that good. Like, anyway, it is, and it's so funny. And I can totally imagine a movie being made today where you know this eighteen-year-old boy pretends to kill himself all the time. Well, I told you who my ultimate fan cast for this is. Oh, you did. did. Oh Uh, gosh, now I'm going to forget his name. Um, the kid from Little Miss Sunshine and There Will Be Blood. Uh, Oh, Paul Dano. Paul Dano. Yeah, Paul Dano. Not now, because now he's too old. But Paul Dano, when Sorry, he, like, Paul Dano. he first arrived on the scene, they should have made a Harold and Maude remake with him. Like, I'm 100% convinced. Who would have been, been Maude? Oh, man, you could have done someone like Judy Dench. Judy Dench or, or something. Or, or um, what's her name? Uh, Betty White. No! You don't think so? Betty White doesn't have, like, you need, like, the balance of dignity and, like, kookiness. Ne'er-do-well. Right. Yeah. So, like, no offense, Betty White, but I don't know. I picture, I picture Judy Dench doing that better. I could see so, that. I could see that. Or, I don't know. There's there's a lot, actually. There's, like, an absolutely amazing amount. Well, Meryl of, like, Streep could definitely do it. I mean, Meryl Streep can do anything. anything. Yeah. <laughs> she could play Harold if she wanted to and do an amazing job. Let's be real. Yeah. yeah. She could. Um, okay. And then the last thing, Harold Pinter. Yes. It died in 2008. Yeah, I know. I said he was still alive, well, and I looked said, it up afterwards. Maybe. Yeah. You know, like, maybe he is. But I, okay, here's my excuse. I was in high school when I read his stuff, and I was in high school before 2008, so he was still alive, yeah. but he was still making things, and he knew people that I went to, that I, were my professors at, right. at school, so it, it I, he was still alive when I learned about him. I, I, I figured that's, I mean, like, if he died as recently as 2008, clearly yeah. what happened was he was alive at some point when yes. you were reading him. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, that's like, that's like me and, uh, Bradbury and Asimov. 
They, yeah. They're both currently dead, but they were alive at some point during my lifetime, like, yeah. when I was aware of them. Yeah, Bradbury died recently, and so did Very J.D. Recently. J.D. Sollinger. I remember that, because yeah. I was really sad about that. Everybody sent me... See, I was really sad about Bradbury. I literally was getting texts all day with people like, have you heard? Are you okay? And I was like, I'm actually really touched. Like, Anyone cares really about that? Yeah, yeah, like, they like they really, like, everyone knows me as, like, the Bra- Bradbury girl, which was really sweet. I think of so, you, like, I would think, yeah, you told me this, so I, I know, but... The David Bowie thing. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah. The David Bowie thing. I, I didn't know me. you when he died, but yeah. Was, actually, I met you yeah. soon after he died. Well, what was really nice about when David Bowie died, if there's any silver lining there, was um, I was working in an office job at the time because this was before I got into a program, and um, one of the women who worked in the office job with me was yeah. like my buddy, and we do lunch together, and she was like. A fantastic, like, she was basically, like, a 20-year-older version of me. She was just, like, really cool and hip and, like, just great. Like, I like she, that you think a 20-year-old version, older version of you would be cool and hip. Well, you know, she I was, think like, you're cool all the same stuff. She, I like, know. loved Doctor Who was, like, her thing. I love Doctor Who, too. Right, that's what yeah. I'm saying. She yeah. was just, like, really cool and nerdy yeah, and, like, yeah, great. Yeah. And, like, David Bowie. And so, like, that's when I actually started crying was when I got to the office and, and saw her. Aww. And, like, I was, like... She's like, she's like, have you, she was like in tears and like, I like lost it. Like, like the shock, like stopped happening and the, uh, like the upsetness started happening. It just, I started, I totally lost it. Anyway. Okay. Enough about David Bowie. Yeah. Well, I mean, we are talking about crushes. That's true. So it's relevant. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So I'm going to go first this time. Oh wait, are we done? Yeah. We're done with our philosophical F-ups. So. Oops. <laughs> we were right, yeah, but I was right about some things, So you too. were right about... Well, no, you had one thing wrong, and I had one thing wrong, Yeah. So, and then we were like, the average of us was the third, second thing, so... Yeah. Close enough. Good. All right. Um, so I will... I, you know what I've noticed when I'm listening is the, that tongue snap noise that I just did, the... Like oh, before that. I start again, I'm, that's like driving me crazy when I'm listening to them in edit, so I'm going to try and stop doing it. Okay. But... It's completely subconscious. So. It's something I didn't even notice at all, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, I, well, because, I don't know, I'm listening for, like, noises to edit out and stuff like that, so I'm listening for stuff like that, but yeah. I can't, you know, I, can, I can't really edit that out, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, someone could. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I can barely splice. So the yes. fact that we have a theme song that starts before the episode is the extent of my abilities. So. A really amazing theme song. Actually, I keep like being like, oh, I should have sung that better. It's great. I love it. Okay, I'm glad. I I, I think it sounds very professional. I don't oh, know. good. Well, that makes me feel better. You just stroked my ego. <laughs> so speaking of stroking, allow me <laughs> to take you down on this journey of my philosophical crush. Is Max going to come in here and be really loud? Hi, buddy. Why don't you lie down? Hi, Hi bud. Max. Love you. Okay. He's going to, you're going to hear clicking in the background. That's my dog. So, all right. My philosophical crush is a cheat. So, because I didn't pick anyone to like that's actually a philosopher, but I picked someone that I have a crush on because of philosophy. That makes, that, that counts. So, that totally that counts. Totally counts. Yeah. So, my, my philosophical crush is Johannes Kepler, a.k.a. my historical husband, which you already know. <laughs> I made you a mug with his face on it. Yes, you did. And it's <laughs> beautiful. It's on display. Yeah. yeah. So now we can't show it to them. Yeah. If anyone wants to see it, we'll, we'll post it on the Twitter account. Is yes. what we'll do. <laughs> All the pressure. So, but, so Johannes Kepler, I joke, is my historical husband because, um, so there's this biography. First of all, if you want to know anything about Johannes Kepler, I strongly recommend reading the biography, uh, Kepler's Witch, okay. which is actually a lot about his mom. Oh. Because his mom was, at several <laughs> times, tried for witchcraft. And That's not why I thought that. No, 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 no. He loved his mom. Okay. He had a great mom. So the story is basically that his mom was, um... A very intelligent woman, but uh, not educated formally, because, meh. And so she was, like, all not formally educated intelligent women in history before, like, 1950. She did witchy stuff, you yeah. know? Like, she helped people cure things, and she, she was very, like, midwifey, and, like, just yeah. had, like, all these basic cure-alls for people around town. Unfortunately, like, more than once, Kepler had to, like, leave his, like, pushy, uh, cushy job as a court astronomer. And, or, well, it was court astrologer, actually, because it was, like, astronomy and astrology were basically the same thing back then. Yeah. So, 
Uh, so he would have to leave and, like, go back to town and be like, please don't burn my mom at the stake. I swear she's not a witch. And, but he even kind of perpetuated this. Because when he wrote what is arguably the first science fiction novel, yeah, it's about the motion of planets. And in it, like, as, like, the opening premise of it, he wants to describe the motion of the planets as seen from a perspective that's not Earth's. Okay. And, you know, to, yeah, like, explain yeah. how things work, right? Yeah. And so he has his mom teleport him to the moon with, like, magic, right? Aww. Which is adorable, but also maybe not the best thing to do when your mom is being accused of being a witch on the regular. <laughs> yeah, for such a smart person, not so clever. <laughs> so that's so that's why where Kepler's witch kind of comes from. That's and really cool. I didn't know that. It's really cool, yeah. So Kepler loved his mom. Yes. Um, <laughs> and was, like was a huge Platonist. So this, so here's the philosophical connection. So I'll try and focus on like his, his philosophical connections. Um, so when Kepler was a young man, this is before there was a good system, a good solar system model, right? Yeah. We had the, uh, kind of really basic Aristotelian model or, or Ptolemaic model. Sorry. <sighs> But I'd rather not give Aristotle credit where credit is not given. <laughs> <laughs> Screw <Aristotle. laughs> The Ptolemaic model, which is uh, geocentric, perfect circles, and has uh, some epicycles to explain for retrograde motion, right? Which is where, like, you know, ever heard Mercury's in retrograde from all your friends blaming whatever's going on? It's because <laughs> if, you, if you track the planets over the course of the year yeah. as they move across the sky, sometimes they stop and move backwards for a few weeks or something. Oh. I, I don't even know how long it goes on for. Shows, But I know this happens yeah, because I know my history of philosophy of science. So <laughs> so I, my, my parents are always amazed by how much I know about astronomy. I am too, actually. You always bring up interesting points. Because, but the reason I know it is because I'm in philosophy. Like, that is the... My mom recently asked me, um, oh, there's this really bright star I've been seeing in the sky recently in the early morning. What is it? And, like, I started losing it. Because I'm like, it's Venus, it's Venus, it's the morning star, but it's also the evening star, and it's a whole identity problem, and actually, it's not a star, it's Venus. Because yeah. this is a story in, like, the history of philosophy and astronomy that they constantly use as an example for, like, identity problems, where it's like, does the fact that we know the morning star is the evening star this, yeah. somehow change our understanding of what's, do we learn any new information? The morning star or the evening star is a tautology, but also you don't think it is before you know that they are and all this stuff. Yeah. <sighs> but you seem to know a lot about astronomy specifically. Well, I yeah. wanted to be an astrophysicist okay. for about four years when I was 11 through 15 years old or so ish. Uh, so yeah, I learned a lot of astrophysics stuff. And so a lot of, I mean, I'm just very comfortable with, like, astronomy examples in philosophy, so. Yeah. Well, and then one of the guys I called out in class for not knowing the relativity. What should, what should his nickname be? We don't need to give him that Okay. Name. So, but what, there was a guy in class who, who, who was using relativity, Einstein's theory of relativity, as an example for unproved but believed theory. And I was like, no. This was famously proved during the 1919 eclipse. You dummy. How could you not know about this? But it is a really famous example. Like, the yeah. 1919 eclipse is hugely famous if you know anything about the history of philosophy of science. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, I don't know why I know so much philosophy of science. Perhaps, but it's great. Because that's what I do. It's yeah. Great, yeah. So, so, Kepler. Um, so, we have the Ptolemaic model, which has these... Uh, geocentric, so Earth's at the center, perfect circles, some epicycles, which are basically circles. So you have circular orbits of the planets, but then they also have these little tiny circles that they do too, like on top of the circles. So they go like this. Oh, see, I'm make, I'm I'm gesturing. It's she's, she's gesturing like like a like a flower shape. Yeah. Oh, well, you, like the spirograph. Spirograph. It's yes, like a spirograph. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the Ptolemaic model. Then, so the little, the little epicycles account for that retrograde motion. Okay. Where the planets sometimes suddenly move backwards for a little while. And then they move forwards again. Okay. Across the night sky over the course of a year. So then we have Copernicus show up, famously. Now, Copernicus's model wasn't actually that good. This is what people don't understand, and I get really irritated and protective of my historical husband. Kepi. Uh, Kepler, who came up with the right solar system model, which... Like, Copernicus's model isn't right, and it's really bad, and in fact, it's more complicated than Tycho... Okay, so Copernicus's model 
was a heliocentric model. The sun's at the center, right? Yeah. Ooh, big deal. La la. Um, problem is, he also used perfect circles for orbits. What shape is the orbit of planets in? Elliptical. It's elliptical. I'm kind of exactly. I know exactly. <laughs> it's not perfect circles. So if yeah. you create a heliocentric model of the solar system, but have perfect circle uh, orbits, yeah. it doesn't work. It doesn't match the data. And you have to have epicycles to account for it. Yeah. So you end up having to include these epicycles so that your model, Copernicus's model, is no more simple than uh, Ptolemy's model. Yeah. Right? Okay. So then Tycho Brahe comes along. He, this is the guy who famously, for like 40 years, has data on the night sky every single night of his life. That was a clear sky. Right? Yeah. He took the data. Like, he got it all. And he came up with a geocentric model, so wrong, right? That was more simple than Copernicus's model. Because what he did was he put Earth at the center that the sun orbits around, but then everything else orbits around the sun. Yeah. So his didn't have to have epicycles or any of this other stuff that was complicating it. So, but still perfect circles. Yeah. Still wrong. So, still wrong. And I mean, also geocentric. So, yeah. still wrong. Yeah, also. Not. But it was geohelio. So, like, it was geocentric where the sun went around the earth, but then the, everything else went around the sun. Yeah. So, like, it was way closer than everyone else. Yeah, they were getting better. It fit the data better, and it was more simple than Copernicus's model. So, why would you accept Copernicus's model? So, like, everyone acts like everyone was a jerk not accepting Copernicus's model, and it was like Catholic Church. Rah, rah, rah. They're all a bunch of anti-science jerks. Brahe's model was better. It fit the data better. It was more simple. There's no reason to accept Copernicus's model over Tycho Brahe's model. Yeah. Okay. But Brahe was totally a jerk. And, <laughs> and so Kepler ends up, like, apprenticing himself to Brahe because he wants that data. Like, and there was actually a whole feud between Brahe's family um, when Brahe died and Kepler over who inherits that data. It was actually really interesting. Like That it, is interesting. It's super interesting in the history of, like, like copyright and stuff and, like, scientific research, basically, um, who owns this data. And, and basically they were like, you tricked Brahe into, like, willing you the data, but Brahe did will him the data. So <clears throat> either way, it's for the best of human history that Kepler gets that data. So, <laughs> so Kepler that we know of. So okay. So here's here's the philosophy. I said I was going to do philosophy, but instead I did astronomy for a while. So that's here's... okay. I mean, it's like natural <laughs> philosophy, right? Right. <laughs> so okay. So here's here's some philosophy stuff. So before Kepler comes up with his famous three laws of Kepler's three laws of planetary motion and figures out the solar system and the elliptical orbits of the planets. He first gets it, he's a huge Platonist, right? He loves Plato as much as I love Plato. And he gets it, and since the Timaeus was the main text at the time, um, in in that famous painting, the one that we're using as part of our logo, uh, School of Athens, School of Athens, by Botticelli? Raphael? Uh, I think it's Botticelli, I'm not sure. I think it's one of the Ninja, I think think it's one of the Ninja Turtles. Okay, so it's not Dante. Is it? Dante is not one of the Ninja Turtles. Yes, it is. Donatello. Donatello, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's not... Is it Donatello? Donatello. I think it's Donatello. Oh, gosh. Philosophical app-ups. I'm betting it's Raphael. I'm gonna guess that it's... It's Raphael or Donatello. That's where I'm putting my money. It's not Michelangelo. It's not Da Vinci. Yeah, it's definitely not Da Vinci. And I don't think it's Botticelli. And I don't think it's my... It might be my... It might be Botticelli. It might be... I I could literally look this over right now. I probably should. Yeah, I guess so. I was thinking... I'm going to put my money on Botticelli, I think. Let's see. School of Athens. At least I know the title of it. Yeah, I didn't know the title of it. I just always called it the philosophy painting. (laughs) That we're there in the school, and it's in Athens, so I should have... Guest. But you know the Raphael. Is, <laughs> <laughs> Take I got that, it. Ace. No, no I always because uh, I win. I should know this because I studied like art history, but it was a long time ago that I studied. See, I can't do art history. That was like, ugh. That was always like the dreaded courses I had to take for really? my classics major oh. was art history class. I'm just not good at it. I can't. I can't look at stuff and understand it. I don't know. I, I have a very hard time looking at art. 
That's so. fair. You're definitely, you know a ton about science right. and you're brilliant, yeah. you know, with I need, so. I need words. I need words. If you explain a painting to me, like in like three, like over the course of a novel, I'll get it. But <laughs> who knew the, who knew the painting? Like, so, you know, well, but that's words because that's I, knew, I couldn't tell you what's like perspective and stuff, but in the painting, yeah. Plato is holding the Timaeus. Yeah. Because Plato's, um, famous text, the one that they had yeah. at the time, basically was the Timaeus. So Renaissance people love the Timaeus. So. Kepler reads the Timaeus, and in the Timaeus is where you get platonic solids. So do you know what a platonic solid is? Any I guesses? did. Uh, a platonic solid. Oh, gosh. I'm afraid I'm embarrassing <laughs> myself too much. Uh, we can always, I guess, edit this out, hopefully. You're not, you're not the play. Just give me a chance not to speak for two seconds. <laughs> okay. Uh, a platonic solid. I don't remember at all. That's okay. I'm so, sorry. So basically, platonic solids were three-dimensional figures. Yeah. Who were perfect ones. So, for instance, a cube is a platonic solid. Okay, I remember now. When yeah. you say it, okay, yeah. <laughs> and then, like, a pyramid with a triangular base okay. is a platonic solid. So you have to have, like, the same amount of, of, of sides as, like, the side of the, thi- of the, of the two-dimensional thing. Yeah. So you get triangle, uh, cube, um, there's, like, a dodecahedron or something like that. Yeah, so, like, okay. you, there's, like, six of them. Okay. So, oh, sphere is one of them. Um, so those are platonic solids. So they Kepler came up with this idea that if you could somehow stack the platonic solids inside each other in the right order, yeah, you would get the ratio of the distance between the orbits of the planets. That's really interesting. And I love this because it sounds like something I would come up with. It does. This is such a arrow idea, right? <laughs> so because because like it 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 assumes this inherent mathematical mathematical beauty of the universe, which is a very beautiful which, way of looking at the world. And it's very Kepler, and it's also the reason why we got the correct solar system model because it is inherently mathematically beautiful and simpler and better than like every other model. Like it's the most simple model out there, and so. Anyway, so, like, this mentality is very key to what we get out of Kepler later in his life, but it's also very silly, very idealistic. Now, you know, I mean, come on, do you think the universe really works this way? Well, do you think that the universe would really work based on these, like, three super simple equations that I could rattle off right here? No, but it does. It actually does. So, like, that's incredible, right? Yeah. Okay. So, he has this idea about stack. So, he loves Plato, and he loves the platonic solids and the Timaeus, and he tries to to do this and it doesn't really ever work out so but he but he tries it and it's really cute so then kepler kind of abandons that he ends up coming up with his kepler's three laws of planetary motion uh figuring out that the orbits are elliptical um do you know the second law um that's ridiculous why would you know that (laughs) (laughs) only i know something like kepler's second law of planetary motion but it's super fascinating so check this out i did at some point in my life i just i wasn't prepared to talk about this (laughs) so so like this is the this is the one that i always use it's like and kepler also was religious he thought that these laws rather than disprove than hedge out god then then put god to the edges of explanation proved God, were God in the explanation, right? He saw God in mathematics. He saw God in the order of the universe. Which is a beautiful way of looking at the world. And and, and it's very me, right? Yes. Like, this is why yes. this is why we are we are separated by centuries, but we should have been married. So Yeah. yeah. Well maybe like do, Catholics don't believe in reincarnation, right? No. Okay. Never <laughs> so he uh yeah, no, I mean he just he he thought like if the world is this simply mathematical down to this way that's discoverable and, and that we can understand that we can comprehend with yeah. the math of, at our disposal that's divine like that has to be divine right and i love that that's very that's very me so the second law of planetary motion is that so you have and see usually i have to draw it so it's going to be a really interesting exercise to try and explain it. explain in words so <clears throat> you've got a elliptical orbit so picture an ellipsis okay the sun is at the foci of the ellipsis. You know, okay. you've got two foci, right? Yeah. You remember that? So, um, from like, you know, 10th grade geometry, you got this? Yeah. So, the sun's at one foci. And what happens is the orbits of the planets speed up and slow down. 
it's slingshot, right? It's wildly coyote and the roadrunner. So as it comes closer to the sun, nice metaphor, I like it. Right. As it comes closer to the sun, it speeds up and it slingshots it out, and then it slows down and it loses momentum and it kind of drops back around. I remember this. Yes. 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 So so you know, I mean, picture um, picture gravity wells, right? If you picture gravity wells in your head. Because that's something that people do on the regular. Oh, yeah. It, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, you picture the marble going around and speeding yeah. up and coming closer and, you know, trying to drop exactly. into that well, right? Yeah. And that's what's happening. So Kepler didn't know that. He didn't know three-dimensional space-time or anything. Right? Yeah, yeah. But he figured out that's what was going on from Brahe's data. Which is pretty amazing. Which is so amazing. So <laughs> so he, uh, he figured out, so Kepler's second law is that we're looking at that elliptical orbit with the sun at the foci. And in the amount of time that, so, so pick, make a triangle, starting with one point is the sun. Okay. The next point is Earth at T1, time okay. one. Okay. So January 1st. Okay. And then the next point is T2. Okay. Okay. So that's a triangle that happens, right? That you cut out. The amount of time, so let's say that was one month that we took January to February. The area of that triangle is the exact same as the area that it cuts out from, let's say, December to November. But picture the orbit, picture the ellipsis. Um, we have one fat triangle close to the sun, one skinny triangle far away from the sun. But the area of that triangle is equal to each other in an equal amount of time hmm. because it speeds up and slows down. Yeah. Isn't that cool? That's really cool. Isn't that beautiful and incredible? That is, it's, that's, my brother's a mathematician, and I just imagine he'd be like, it's so beautiful, like, math, he's always telling me mathematics are so beautiful, and he's showing me how, and it's, it's like that, like, what you're right. talking about, it's, it really is beautiful. That's, that's, like, the fact that that happens, like, that's very divine to me, that that's very ordered and, and simple and amazing, and then Kepler figured this out, so it's Kepler's second law. Um... So then when he was, so here's, here's the last thing I'll say about Kepler and ties it back into philosophy, right? And when he was much older, he, after he had come up with his three laws for planetary motion and had done like the great works that he needed to do in his life, basically, um, by the way, F off Galileo, you, you're, you're a glory hogging jerk and screw you. So, <laughs> I'm sure Galileo will take that personally. He should, okay? Kepler never got excommunicated because he wasn't a jerk, even though he was promoting heliocentric, like, model of the solar system. So, hmm, wonder why that is, Mr. It Moves, Galileo. Anyway, I've, I've got a grudge against Galileo. Galileo, Aristotle, we should do, like, All he did was look at a telescope. We should have, like, a philosophical hit list, too. Like, that should be one of our episodes, oh, like, philosophers we hate. Galileo is absolutely on my hit list. I hate Galileo so much. Um, so, okay, so it, towards the end of his life, hang on, I'm, I'm looking up a letter that I want to read to cap this off, so, oh. um, because You're so prepared. Because it's so beautiful. I should have had this pulled up. No, but yeah, I wasn't so. being facetious. Like, you're super prepared. You have, like, these stories to tell. I'm just like, I'm just going to talk about this. I'm, I'm going to start crying when I read this, but it's going to be great. Okay, okay so towards the end she of his like, life, violins playing. <laughs> Kepler decided to um, go back to the platonic solids ratio thing. And he even, he wrote some, he was a copious letter writer, like all these yeah. famous people of the day. And he even said, like, you know, this is silly. This is idealistic. It probably won't work. But wouldn't it be beautiful if it did? Like, and that's like, ugh, I love that. I love that idealism. He doesn't yeah. lose it in his old age. He's still toying around with like these kind of fans. So he got his work done, but he kept that like sense of wonder and beauty in the universe. I love, the world. I love, that. I love that because like, Isn't that yeah, it doesn't, yeah. And that, that's the whole spirit of philosophy and of science. And just, exactly. you know, you just try it and maybe it'll work. And there's a very small chance sometimes mm -hmm. that it'll work, but it's better than mm -hmm. doing something you don't care about. Or just doing something that you know will work without actually discovering anything new. That's beautiful. Exactly. Sorry, so, I'm gushing so, over no, your film. I know, right? So isn't this a great crush? So uh, so speaking of Galileo, Kepler, so this is the last thing I'll say. Uh, Kepler and Galileo exchanged a lot of letters over the course of their lifetime because they were both doing uh, um, astronomical work. Yeah. <laughs> and Galileo was just using a telescope to look at a couple moons, so it wasn't really that big of a deal, but okay. Um, Kepler came up with the three laws of planetary motion. That's fine. I'm not bitter. <laughs> and literally anytime Galileo comes up in class, 
I have to bite my tongue and not be like, but you know, Kepler. Like literally, like if you ever hear Galileo mention and I'm in that in that room, I'm sitting there in my head thinking to myself, would it be relevant to mention Kepler right now? Like, should I not? Should I not? Because I kind of want to. Ladies and gents in listening land, I think you know what I will be bringing up in any class that I'm in with Arrow. Just like, yeah, so like, what about Galileo? Just like, we'll be talking about, you know, I don't know, metaphysics. I'll just be like, yeah, Galileo. You know what? He's not that great. Okay. So... So they exchanged a lot of letters, and okay, here's here's where you will fall in love with Kepler if you haven't already, gentle listener. And I'm really bad at reading stuff out loud, so I apologize. But he says, Kepler says to Galileo, <clears throat> But as soon as somebody demonstrates the art of flying, settlers from our species of man will not be lacking. Who would have once thought that crossing of the wide ocean was calmer and safer than that of the narrow Adriatic Sea, Baltic Sea, or English Channel? Given ships or sails adapted to the breezes of heaven, there will be those who will not shrink from even that vast expanse. Therefore, for the sake of those who, as it were, will presently be on hand to attempt this voyage, let us establish the astronomy. Galileo, you of Jupiter and I of the moon. Oh, that's beautiful! I love that! He's a poet, too! He's so beautiful! Oh my god! And he predicted space flight and, like... I just, I love him so much. (laughs) Oh, I really want him to be alive for you to marry and have, like, little, like, babies with... Little little aerospace engineer babies. Yes! Oh, God! Aerospace engineer! (laughs) Ah! So, yeah, like, if I had tattoos, that would be one of my tattoos, is, like, that quote. The the ships with sails designed for the heavenly breezes. I love that so much. Like, it's, it's so beautiful. So that is my philosophical crush, which... Is more like philosophy brought us together. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, mine is a little bit of a cheat, too, actually. Okay, cool. I mean, he is definitely a philosopher. And if you look him up, uh, people will say he's a philosopher, but he's really known as a writer. Oh, okay, sure. And uh, it's it's interesting because it brings up this sort of... You didn't of, do Camus, did you? No, okay. <laughs> we did Camus last time. I like Camus, too. But um, this person, I think I would have, I, oh, I just think, I, I would I'm going to, I don't know what, I would have read something beautiful that he wrote to, although I don't think I could top yours, but he was a writer and something interesting in philosophy, there's sort of this, a lot of debates about like who is considered a philosopher and who gets to be included and what, what sort of yeah. philosophy well, is included. we saw me being like existentialist, none of them are philosophers. Well, yeah, <laughs> and that's, I mean, it's fair because it's a yeah. lot of uh, analytic philosophers, which is the kind of philosophy I think that we both do, yeah. analytic philosophy, is considered the standard, at least in the United States. There's continental philosophy. So this philosopher was known as a transcendentalist. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. yeah, and my philosophy, my my, philo- my philosophical crush. Uh, maybe I should paint a picture. Somebody okay. who was a politically active. Yes, okay. somebody who was very politically active. Which, mm-hmm. uh, if anybody out there in listening land knows, is very something near and dear to my heart. He was somebody who influenced Gandhi and Martin Luther King. Um, somebody who is it Karl Marx? <laughs> oh my god, I should have told you that Karl Marx. I, it's not Karl. Is okay. Karl Marx a transcendentalist? I have no idea. He, he also... He I, did, was just, I, was just, I was picturing, like, political philosophers. He, he, he influenced Tolstoy. Um, okay. Yeah, so let's see if... He, yeah, well, no, I won't... I'm not going to guess He has beautiful blue eyes. I should stop guessing. Yeah, it's Thoreau. Henry David Thoreau. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Kale and all that stuff, yeah. And, you know, he... Okay, so Henry David Thoreau... Was. Yeah, that's a cheat. Yeah, but he's a philosopher too. If you look up, even if you look up, oh, everybody look that's up. That's okay. I did a scientist. So. Yeah, so Phil, I, I said it was going to be. But if you look even at his, uh, if you go and look at, if you look him up, it'll probably say like writer. You know how like these famous people, it's like writer, philosopher, yeah. you know, artist, all of the things. That's what I want to be. Right? I, I just, media. I just claim my guy was also the first science fiction novelist. So you know, go for it. Yeah, yeah, right. He was a, such a beautiful writer, though. I didn't know he wrote something what, so Kepler? beautiful. Yeah. I know. Because I, I know, know, like, Thoreau's a great writer. For sure. There's I didn't more. think Kepler was going to be the one who I was like, yeah, the beautiful writing. Sorry, we're just gushing about Seriously, Kepler now. Look, look up Kepler quotes. Like, just yeah. type in Kepler quotes and just read. It's it's beautiful. Like, I every, will. There, there's so many more. That one's my personal favorite, but there's so many more. It's <sighs> incredible. I love beautiful writing. I love writing. Yeah. So, I, yeah. So, anyway, so David Henry David Thoreau, uh, I'm sure a lot of you probably know a little bit about him. So, he most famously uh, wrote Walden. And in mm-hmm. Walden, right. famously for, was it uh, two years, two months, and two weeks? Is that what it was? 
It's two, two, and two. <laughs> it's not. It wouldn't have been two years, I don't think. Let's see. Uh, probably philosophical f-ups. No, it is. It's two months. It's Good two job. years, two months, and two days. Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure if it was two months, two, two years, two months, and two weeks. Two months, two years, and two days. There we go. <laughs> two, two, two. He uh, he decided to go and you know live in a cabin, and he he wanted to immerse himself in nature. And he was inspired by transcendental philosophy, which is this sort of idea that you don't need um, masters and uh, other 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 people telling you what's right, and uh-huh. you can just sort of understand yourself. Uh, this simple living and being self-sufficient, you can kind of come to understand things about the world. And so... I, I just think that that's really beautiful. I love the. I, I don't. Necess, I don't know if I necessarily agree that you can. I think that there are certain things that you can learn just by being by yourself that you can't. That you can't learn by being in society. Mm. Um, and that was a that was a big part of his sort of philosophy, if you will. He was a writer, but his philosophy was sort of this idea that uh, society kind of corrupts us, and I guess we're born uh, we're born free, and we're born able to be to to sort of. Uh, pure almost. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't, I don't, I don't think things are as simple as that, but I really like this, this idea that when you, you can go off and be in the woods and have a really fulfilled life and that it doesn't have to be in, in terms of other, uh, what other people consider, um, to be a fulfilled life that you can go out and live in nature. And I, I, as a person who loves nature myself, I'm sort of like, yes, go out into (laughs) nature. And yes, that is, that's what I want to do. I don't know if you guys, so a little bit of personal story here. One of my one of my dreams is kind of to be the kind of philosopher who sits on a mountaintop and people come to me and we. Thus spake Zarathustra. Yes. Thus spake Ace. Sprecht. 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 Sprechen is like now, right? Oh, yeah. I'm not sure. I don't don't speak conjugate German. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, I don't disagree with the idea that uh, you can you can kind of armchair it, right? Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, for efficiency reasons, when I armchair it, I come up with a bunch of stuff that's already been come up with. So I want to read everybody else's stuff, and but that's not what he's saying, right? Yeah, He's, he's more saying that like. Don't get involved in the rat race, sort of. Yes, thing, right? there are things yeah. that you can understand yeah. about yourself. I'm not saying I think obviously yeah. I'm a philosophy student. Obviously, I think that there's some merit and some value in speaking with other philosophers. I think it's really great. I think it's wonderful. But there can you can also learn a lot about yourself. And um, you, he, he was influenced by Indian philosophy too. I think there's a um, we were talking I think last week about Siddhartha, the sort of idea that you can go and um, not saying he was influenced by that, but I'm saying like this kind of idea that you can go and learn about yourself and learn, um, about, uh, the world around you and that you don't necessarily have to have this classical education or you don't have to be a part of the race, as you were saying. And Mm -hmm. the, the thing I really love him for is civil disobedience. Right. See, this is what I know about Thoreau is, is the tax dollars and there's a war in jail. Yes. That's that's it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Basically. <laughs> that's the basics. So, so I don't even know which war it is, tell me. Uh oh, I assumed you knew. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like the war of what it must have been the French French Indian War? Let me look at it. Eighteen twelve? I wanna say uh um, I mean it wasn't the Civil War. No, because it was published in eighteen forty nine. Um French Fr- French Indian. Uh I thought it says that um looking it up now. I mean, there was a war, it was, right? it was, like, Yeah, was the Mexican-American War. The oh, Mexican-American War. Mexican. Yeah, I was going to say, um, yeah, so he, I was going to talk about how he was, like, an abolitionist and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But, yeah, oh. Mexican-American War. I'm sorry. I obviously <laughs> don't know my history. Like, Arrow is so prepared. I'm just sort of like, yeah, I'm going to talk about what I know. And, like, I'm not, I don't remember everything specifically, but it's okay. I just... I, I use my examples a lot, constantly. It's kind of like, it's like if you were to ask me about Euclid's fifth postulate, <laughs> and I could just, I would I would rattle off the entire history of that. To be fair. 2,500 years. If so. we have an episode about, um, if we have an episode about ethics, or right. an episode right. about uh, social and political philosophy, then I can be like, yeah, I just always liked right. uh, him because he was, he was, you know, he, he went out in the woods, and he, um, 
he was an abolitionist, and he said something that I think is really important, something that I've learned from from Thoreau is that uh, as a kid, I always looked up to this. You do not have, the, the government is supposed to be us, and so it is our duty mm-hmm. to make sure that the government does not force us to do anything that is not just. Uh-huh. That we have, that is our duty to make sure that the government, which represents us, does only just things. Otherwise, we're sort of complacent, or we're sort of complicit, excuse me, in doing things that are unjust. And I just think that's, that's kind of crush-worthy for me, like, oh, because <laughs> I was thinking about, oh, he, that's he very, lived, that's he lived, very you. It is very me. He lived in the woods, and uh, he thought about, he just sat in the woods thinking, and he was a writer, and he, and he, uh, he, he, he was against slavery, and he, he fought injustice in the world, and that was sort of, yeah. So, civil disobedience. Yeah. Well, he was, he was like the original letter from a Birmingham jail, right? That yes. was kind of, that, that's what I remember about him. Is, yes. Yeah, he was very much pro-civil disobedience, very, yeah. which, have we talked about this yet on the podcast, how Socrates wasn't pro-civil disobedience? I, or did we okay. talk about that in class together? You told me about this. We, you, you talked, and I feel like you told me about it in the office. Yeah. But uh, maybe we talked about it on the podcast? I can't remember. Well, because of the Crito, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because we, we definitely talked about Socrates. Yes, we've talked about this before together. Yeah. But yeah, I know, because I always think about that, and like, I don't know, it's hard to make kids realize how like weird that is, that Socrates is... Possibly. I mean, he, he certainly in the Crito seems to be arguing for an anti-civil disobedience uh, yeah. position, which is weird because most philosophers, Thoreau, yeah. would be pro-civil disobedience. So, like, what's the deal? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I obviously, I don't, well, it's not obviously since you don't know me, I'm very, <laughs> very, very pro-civil disobedience, especially in, I think that's already obvious. Yeah. Like, oh, four good. episodes in. Good. I'm so glad. That's what I want you to get. That's the civil disobedience Lass. <laughs> I feel like all the songs I make up are just basically all the same songs. Same They're tune. all the same tune. They're all the same tune. Civil disobedience. Lass. It's still the same. It's hard to do like a catchy short tune. I, yeah. So I, I think that it is our duty as people and as philosophers. And this is part of the reason I study philosophy because I think I'm not sure if I want to be a professor, if I want to go into the, um, foreign service, I think it's our duty as humans to stand up for what's right. And I want to study philosophy so that I can become better equipped at uh, being able to figure out what is the right thing to do and the right way to live my life and to know the truth so that when I go out there and advocate for what's right, I have a good basis for doing so and I have logical arguments and that I'm able to express it well and that I'm able to listen to other people and incorporate it well. And I, I think that's why I really like Thoreau, that he was sort of had this idea of, no, uh, philosophy isn't something that you that you just talk about in a room, although that's certainly valuable. It's something that you go out and do. Mm-hmm. It's something that it, it's important for us to speak out against uh, injustice. It's important for us to go and to know ourselves and to do things. And so that's, that's what I want to do as a philosopher. I want to do, I want to create, I want to... I want to I want to do philosophy. Change the world. I want to change the world. Yeah. Wait, wait. Buddy. I'm sorry. I'm believing that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got really passionate. Just you like did. Yeah. That's very Thoreauian of you. Yes. Yeah. I actually yeah, I'm sure he probably would have been cool with with uh cursing. <laughs> um all right. So, is that it? I don't want to cut you short. Is that No, I mean, that's... You had, like, this whole story. I know, well, I feel like I talked so much longer than you. No, so, it's, it's good, because yeah. I was like, I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to passionately talk about a more... Use this as a catalyst to talk about civil disobedience and how I think it's our duty, especially in these particular times, to True. speak out against... To speak out and to stand up for people, even if it's something that can uh, potentially get you into hot water. Um... And, yeah, and so... Or even jail time. And even jail time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, Gandhi and Martin Luther King have right. cited civil disobedience as being uh, well, catalysts yeah. for what they did. Mm-hmm. And so right. I'm hoping that I can also be like that but not be shot. Was the row shot? No. Oh. Gandhi and Martin Luther King right, were shot. Right, right, I but know Thoreau that. But died really young. Um... Let me look up how he died. I'm not actually sure. I'm sure it's probably something I would be embarrassed for not knowing. How mm-hmm. did 
Because he died at, like, 35 or something like oh, that. Oh, weird. Yeah, so... Or, or maybe, 45, 45. Maybe it was, like, dysentery or something. Tuberculosis. Yeah, yeah tuberculosis at 44. It's always tuberculosis yeah. or dysentery. Or, or consumption, right? Yeah, consumption. Tuberculosis, tuberculosis oh, wait, is, is it? consumption. Oh, I yeah. know it was one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I read a lot I of, like... I couldn't remember if it was... If consumption was tuberculosis or, like... Dysentery, you know, like if I'm wrong, we can put it in right. No, 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 you're probably right. You're I'm probably pretty right. certain it yeah. is. And then there was um, yeah, the consumption. There was another one, like syphilis, was one of them that they they hid with a like a, a lovely euphemism. Right. I can't remember what it was. I want to say like maybe that was consumption. No, 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 no. no. It was it was tuberculosis. Yeah. Syphilis, because a lot of people had syphilis. Um, Nietzsche. No, do you, do you know Nietzsche maybe didn't? Really? I always heard... You know what? You I heard from a Nietzsche so, scholar he didn't. Oh, you were at the same dinner as me. Yes, I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, supposedly, according to this guy, he had a brain tumor. Not, not yeah. Syphilis, yeah. I don't know about Leo. All right. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, you is, just, that, is that is that it? it? I think hey. that's it. I want to read one more Kepler quote. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been looking up Kepler quotes this whole time, and they're the best. Um, so you kind of win this episode. Here's, here's another reason why Kepler is, is me. So he says geometry is one and eternal shining in the mind of God. That Aww. share in it accorded to humans is one of the reasons that humanity is in the image of God. Isn't that wonderful? That is beautiful. <laughs> I just I love. Okay, so my dog wants to eat. So we should wrap this up. <laughs> All right. Um, is there is there anything else you want to say about Thoreau? Let's see. Um, I was gonna I was gonna do a quote, but I feel like I feel like oh it yeah be you a, should because yeah. he's a writer. Yeah, I was like, uh, <laughs> grass is the beautiful uncut hair of graves or something like that. But, <laughs> but I was like, I don't know. It's relevant. Let's see. Um, a single footstep will not make a path on the earth, so a single thought will not make a pathway in the mind. Mm-hmm. To make a deep physical path, we walk again and again. To make a deep mental path, we must think over and over the kinds of thoughts we wish to dominate our lives. Oh, I like that. It's almost virtue ethicist. Yeah. So There's a certain... Yeah, a habit forms. A habit yeah. forms who you are. Yeah. I like that. See? He's a philosopher. I, I, I should have looked up a more... I mean, Kepler's book. not. So. Next week, I'm going to be super prepared and have lots of cool stories to tell, because I'm a great storyteller when I'm prepared. I was just like, I'm just going to BS about, about well, this philosopher I like so, or this writer I like. So speaking of uh, next week, so since you want to tell stories, do you want to do Turned Into a Major? Sure. Do you want to do that one? Yeah, So sure. you can, like, just tell the story of, the, of your journey. Yeah. Of what turned you into a philosophy major. Yeah. So so this could be, we'll, we'll keep it open. I'm going to specifically tell the story that turned me into an undergraduate philosophy major. Yeah. But we could also be, like, why'd you go to grad school or whatever, like, if that story's better for you. Sure. You know? Sure, sure. Um, I'll tell my, I have, yeah, my story will be amazing. It'll be great. Okay. It'll be it'll be awesome because I feel like yours was so good, and mine was just like, yeah, civil <laughs> disobedience, man. Yeah, hippie it's- stuff. And yours was like <laughs> the, the motion. Like, I think it's because I just liked his ideas, but you're like it, like love Kepler and read. You know, you said you read a biography. Yeah, of him Kepler's and, like, Witch. I definitely yeah. recommend that biography. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. I want to read it now. I, you you convinced me. I'm like, well, man, Kepler. So I literally... So His I, writing is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I love so, it for that. <laughs> so, like, the, so the story of like how I fell in love with Kepler was I was in a philosophy of science class as an undergrad, and we're reading uh, Thomas Kuhn's Revolutions, Scientific Revolutions, which is very... Everyone reads that. And I'm not... I have some issues with Kuhn's theory of like paradigm shifts, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so we learned about Kepler. And I am literally drawing hearts. Like, I have that textbook. I can show you. Like, there's hearts all around Kepler's name. Everywhere he showed up. And we get to class. And I was the exact same student back then that I am now. So we get to class. And my professor was like, okay, so let's... And I'm like, I love Kepler. He's my favorite. I love him so much. All I want to do is talk about this guy forever. And he literally shoves a book across the table at me. And it's Kepler's Diary, Kepler's Witch. And he goes, read it. I'm like, I love you. Doctor Sonson, super thank cool you too. so much. Yeah, his mom was really that was like the that was like what was really great about the biography was it actually took the time to talk about like the woman who made this man. So it was really cool. I love that. I, I should. I, I was just thinking. I was like, I could. I'm really bad at like being like, yeah, this person. I love them. I was <laughs> like, yeah, really good idea.
idea. Good idea. <laughs> I was like, Henry David Thoreau, he has pretty eyes. Well, I don't really have a crush on a philosopher, I realized. I was like, oh. Well, and it's yeah. kind of weird that, like, I'm the person with, like, this big crush, but he's not a real person to me. He's just, like, a character. So I, I, I can I can have feelings about him, unlike real human beings. <laughs> <laughs> I can deeply love I'm this awesome. person more than anyone in the world. <laughs> I, I was thinking about for my philosophical crush doing a real person. I was like, no, I can't do that. I can't oh, do that. Oh, that'd be awful. That would be awful. Yeah. That would be terrible. See, that, see, the thought of that, like, grosses me out. So clearly I don't even think of Kepler as a real person. He's, he's more of a character in history for me. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I was like, nope, nope, not doing it, not going there, nope, nope, nope. So, well, do you have a crush on someone? What? Like in philosophy? Like a real person that we know? No, 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 not that we know. Oh, okay. I just meant like, like a living person. Oh, do you? Well, like I did as an undergraduate. Like a professor or like a someone you read or what? This is Ben. <laughs> okay, you're gonna have to tell me off camera because that's that's very interesting. I want to know about this. I can't yeah. imagine having a crush on a real person. So, <laughs> all right. So next week we're gonna do um, for get turn us into majors. We're gonna yeah. Turn us into majors. Um, and eventually, we will do an episode where I will make up a theme such that I can just talk about the fifth postulate for, like, an hour. So, <laughs> so you'll get to hear me describe more geometric shapes, like, on a podcast, which yeah. is obviously, I'm sure that description turns out really great when you don't know what I'm talking about, about the, the, the triangles. You described it as a spirograph. That's amazing. So. <laughs> You're, no, you did such a good job this, this episode, and I was just sort of, I feel like all the episodes are just me being like, yep, that's good. That's yep. good. You can see my fingers moving around. Like, I don't think it's going to play too well on a podcast. Just look it up. Oh, I wanted to show you. By the way, if you look up um, Kepler and the Platonic Solids, or like Kepler quotes, you'll see a diagram. Look at that. Of what oh, he was trying that's to really do. cool! And it's, and it's these like cubes and triangles and stuff like stacked inside each other. It's really cute. So it's a very famous. That that's a picture picture you printed off for my mug. I did. Yes, and you didn't know. Now you know what it is. Yeah. Now you know. So oh. I'll put I'll post that mug on Twitter. It'll be fun. Yeah. Which our Twitter is you can't be Syria with no S because it wouldn't let me put an S. We got we got to fix that. Yeah. But that's what it is right now. So feel free to contact us at you can't be Syria and if you have a uh your first philosophy what? thing. No, no, no I was yeah, going to say oh, yeah. yeah, a story about what turned you into a philosophy major. Ace will read them. <laughs> <laughs> and I will care. That's what I'm good about caring about human beings. As you can see cuz you know like throw and animals feelings so and trees civil justice. and even chairs because i like knock into chairs and i feel the need to apologize to them i feel that too i feel that more about i always say thank you to siri you sh- as you should i think i should too oh but did you, you mean about know. all of the people who like are abusing the the digital assistants or whatever they're called the really siri why and the, like a lot of t- well, that freaks me out i can't but see i'm the sort of person who can't play like the bad plot on the video game because, like, Aww. I can't, I, I, it feels wrong. Like, it feels wrong to do bad things. We need to have an artificial <laughs> intelligence episode. We should. I love that kind of stuff. We should do that. I will bring you, because I, I, I taught a class once. I'm um, going to write that down. And uh, I was a teaching assistant for this class, and it was, uh, I did a class, and it was Love and Sex with Robots. But the <gasps> class was. I read that book. You did? I read that book. Yeah. I yeah. love that book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great. That one. In, but then we talked about like the ethics. So well, there's they, a great Futurama episode. Lucy yeah, Lubot. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but even creating them and creating something that could uh, that could potentially suffer when you're not there. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. Oh, so it's, that's it's, how I feel about Max. <laughs> like oh. he's so sad when I'm not in the house. Everything's the worst. <laughs> oh, he probably does. He's really mad at me right yeah. now because we're past his dinner time. So, we but at stop. least you're here. I know, right? Being there. All right. Oh, and he heard the word dinner. So, all right, Max. <laughs> all right. We're going to wrap this up. So, this has been Arrow. And this has been Ace. And that this was You, you Can't, Can't Be, 